Welcome to another episode of Rebranding Cannabis. We have uh, my good friend, Jason Gann, who I'm sure you're very familiar with uh, from the show, Wilfred. <laughs> this is Rebranding Cannabis. I'm your host, Jared Mursky, and you're listening to the show that helps the industry grow. Hear from industry titans, thought leaders, and the up-and-coming founders of this multi-billion dollar industry. Presented by Wick and Mortar. Uh, Jason Gann is, you know, much more than a comedian. He is also uh, a cannabis brand owner. Um, and what's cool about this brand is it's named after, well, the show, A Pot Smoking Dog. At last, a real reason to visit California. Wilfred Cannabis Pre-Rolls. Available in all good dispensaries. One of the cool things that I have to say, just to say it, um, Jason, I've been a fan of yours long before we met. Uh, as you know, I have a dog named Blazy. She doesn't smoke pot like you did on the show, but we are both fans of Wilfred. So um, welcome to Rebranding Cannabis, and thanks for joining me, man. Thanks, man. Thanks. It's good to see you. You too. Not sure. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's, um, it's a bunch of little Blazies all over it. So... I got to ask, man, yeah, cool. when you, when you started, when you created the show, Wilfred, I mean, were you just smoking tons of weed while you were writing all the scripts and stuff? I mean, because that was one of yeah. kind of the first pop comics <laughs> I've seen. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, like when I, when we started, uh, it started as a short film way back at the end of 2001, like 19 years ago. <laughs> Shit. Um, and I did a lot of children's theater for about 10 years and it, it, it killed me, you know, <clears throat> three shows a day I'd be doing and uh, in and out all these different animal suits and uh, often high. And uh, and so when we come up with the concept, I kind of knew straight away what it's going to look like, you know, because and, and I wanted it to be a shitty dog suit that looked like it wasn't a lot of fun to be in. <laughs> I wanted him to have this kind of like attitude like he was stuck in his body that he uh, he didn't want to be in. Okay. How many seasons did you guys do? It was four? Four in America. We did two seasons in Australia. It was a short film, two in Australia, four in America. Now how, 65 episodes all up. How did, did the, how did the Australian version differ from the American version, though? Oh, it, was, it was quite different. I mean, the one thing that was similar is the character, uh, the premise. Um, but it was a lot, well, it was more of a, a love triangle. Romantic love triangle. Um, American version was a buddy comedy, and was redesigned deliberately in that direction. But I mean, the, in the in the premise of the same one, the guy comes home to this girl's place with a date, and it's her, it's her dog. So the action all takes place in her her house and in her life. So there's always, uh, whereas in the American one, it became more more about um, you know. And Ryan, and uh, and it became much more caught up in the existentialism of uh, you know mental health, and uh, it, it, it just, they're just they're just very different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you know, in fact, when, you, when the American one started, there were like wars between Wilford fans. You know, like there's a lot of Aussies who were really uh, a lot of Aussie fans were pissed off, and they were just like, you know, Wilford's Australian and and Jason again selling out doing it and um, 
I used to say, you know, I could earn more money in McDonald's working for a year than I earned making uh, work making Wilfred in Australia on the network we're on. So, you know, if I'm selling out, if you, if you quit your first job ever, then you're selling out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you got to try and um, advance, you know, your life. So I took it to America and uh, we made a big, some big, big changes. But I, 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 I love it. I love the changes. And um, so. But yeah, cannabis was a big part of, even if subconsciously, it was a big part of uh, of, of the show's content. Now, now, was it how long after the show was it that you decided, you know, hey, I want to start a cannabis brand and call it Wilfred Cannabis? Was this something that you had originally planned at some point during the show, or was this something that uh, conspired <laughs> I afterwards? Wish, I wish I had. A, I wish I had. Of it would have been a lot more. Um, Probably would have had. I could have taken advantage of you know a lot more momentum than I than I had when I kickstarted uh, the cannabis thing. Um, and that's kind of what I was thinking. You know, I was like, man, that would have been a good time to sh- to show the brand. But yeah, well, look, it, you know, you could have jumped through so many hoops to get any kind of uh, control over your own creations once you've uh, you know locked on, signed on with uh, multiple studios, uh, not you know more than one network even. And, uh, it's not just a simple matter of me deciding to do it and I can just do it. So it, it seemed like, um, it seemed like I, I just didn't see when Wilford finished, I was just looking at things beyond Wilford, you know, I just thought it was just over and people would say to me in that final, you know, towards the end of it, what are you going to do? I can't wait to see what you do next. I put it, I'm like, look, I have no acting ambitions beyond Wilford. You know, if I, I'll do some shit, I'm a Shakespearean actor. I played Hamlet when I was 22. I can always do acting if I want to, but I mean, Wilfred was fucking Hamlet in a dog suit. I mean, you don't. I mean, I'm never going to top Wilfred when it comes to my, what I what I do and as a character. There's only one Wilfred, right? So, why would I try? You know. So, but what I did try was making more television, and as as a show creator. And I, before the cannabis brand, I must have written five or six, um, sold five or six projects to you know studios and networks that didn't get didn't go to series mm-hmm. so that was frustrating uh to be i was i was trapped in los angeles with i was i was i was chained to hollywood because that was all i've never known and yet i uh i wasn't getting in the door anymore you know i was i was getting in the door for for pictures i think i'll always be able to get pictures in hollywood and i was selling scripts but the chances of a show getting made from even selling a script, it's like the, a, a sperm making its way through the egg, you know, it, it, to get to that end is, is, is very rare. I realized that after Wilford, how rare it was uh, that Wilford was uh, on air and for as long as it was. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I wanted to also have, I mean, my, my wife's uh, from Spain. Uh, we've got two, two, uh, two, two sons and, we weren't spending any time with any family, you know. I had we had no family in America, and it was like uh, it was difficult. It was challenging. And I wanted to, uh, you know, I was really I wanted to have a career where I could live where I wanted to. You know, I was I was envious of like real estate agents. I don't know, that's that's right, but like a lawyer or something. You know, I could relocate and work there. You know, I couldn't relocate anywhere. I love LA, but I didn't. You know, I'd been there for ten years, so I wanted to. Um, then I then the then the window opened for the cannabis thing. Now I I just put a I basically put, I wanted to test the waters and I put a joke ad out saying Wilfred's 
Wolford's weed delivery service because I knew that, you know, obviously cannabis was legal in California where I was living. And I just wanted to test what people's response would be if, if I put that out. So I, I made this, you know, fake ad. I put it on the social media and everyone went kind of crazy. And, you know, a, a couple of people, one guy in particular, reached out and said he's in the, in the cannabis biz, business and that it could be a good opportunity. I thought I'd never get the rights to it um, from the, you know, studio. Um, and I, and he said it was worth asking, and I said, yeah. And so uh, I did, and uh, I eventually um, got over the line. And so I was able to enter cannabis and hemp space with the brand. So then I knew I had something. You know, then I, I didn't know, like, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to get there, and I really put, you know, the, the, the cart before the horse. I knew that what my skills was in writing and creating something great. Uh, I think I'm pretty good at marketing now, but at, at the time I was just about, you know, and I also think I'm creative now as an entrepreneur, but back then I was just creative as a storyteller and an actor. But I wasn't a good businessman. I've been ripped off my whole career. I've had, I, have, I, have, I haven't... I haven't I didn't have the, success, the financial success that you should have if you have a TV show that <laughs> goes to 35 countries. That's, that, let's put it that way. And so, and I didn't know how I was going to get it. And so um, I just thought I, I wish I could have something regular to do. Like I don't want to be just this, you know, actor in a castle writing stories. Like I want to, and also, you know, I, I come from a landscape gardening background. You know, I can, I can you know, Big trenches and build, put our irrigation systems in, but I, I didn't know about marketing, about business, about any, anything like that. So, so I made this commercial. I, 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 I sold my, I sold my apartment that I bought with my Wilford money. I sold my apartment and I put some money into some uh, materials. I made, I, I produced a commercial, which was the Wilford cannabis uh, tourism ad, and I. Designed some, I uh, had some boxes designed, the packaging, and some um, marketing um, posters. You know, Wilfred on the horse, sort of a flying <laughs> wheel, like Wilfred uh, on a horse. And so I, and then I went to a place, I went to Canada, Mexico, um, down in Mexico, and, and it was there that I started to, um, as a guest. And it was there that I started to, several uh, human uh, sent me up there. And I, um, it was there that I met some, you know, potential future partners, and um, it's just been, and, and you know, and it's, I got to know every part of the, the business, you know, like I, and, and mostly because we didn't have a budget, you know, I bootstrapped it the whole whole way, didn't, you know, like uh, just, I did sales myself for the first 10, 10 dispensaries before um, we took on a sales team and. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I just got to know every part of the business. Yeah. I mean, this industry is hard. And now it's all I do. And yeah. I, 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 this industry. I don't have any, I don't have any time for, like, sorry, go for it. Yeah. Oh, I was just saying this industry is tough. You know, there's a lot of people that jump in thinking that, you know, they're going to make money right away and that weed still sells itself when that's not the case. Um, you know, even I, look, I, I like embarrassing. I did too. I did too. And I thought it would be like I thought it was just a slam dunk, really, and that uh, and and 
And the reason why I did it, actually did so much on my own, mate, was because so I had so many conversations with people that were, we were going to do this and that and this and that, and, and it just didn't happen. You know, mm-hmm. like it just wasn't happening. And I needed it to happen. Like I, but, but I needed it. So um, I had to succeed. And so that's when you start doing things yourself that you would normally pay people as individuals to do, you know? Yeah. I well, used to be, I used to get a pretty good wage. When I was on television, I had a pretty good wage. So if I wanted something done, I just put out my credit card and just paid for it. <laughs> but if you want to, you know, there'll be lots of people in the cannabis industry that will take your credit card, um, you know, and um, be consultants and you can, you can spend a lot of money, uh, you know, you can spend a lot of money setting up a cannabis brand that does. And what I discovered also is there's not a great amount of loyalty to um, celebrity brands. When it comes to weed, I know that I don't give a shit what, what celebrity it is. I want the best I can for the most economical price, which is why from the beginning I always wanted Wilfred Cannabis to be affordable, the best quality it could be, but affordable. And and, our, and pre-rolls are like they're 100% flour, so there's, and there's no trim. So it's, it's like and I wanted to keep it as low as possible, the price as affordable as possible. So my mm-hmm. My margin is very small in pre-rolls, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but the pre-rolls are kind of like the the signature item. You know, they're our they're our mantelpiece kind of item. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've had some big setbacks. We've had some big setbacks. And, uh, I mean, just before COVID happened, I mean, now we're focusing on brand licensing. We're about to enter into um, Colorado. But now mm-hmm. we are about to. But we were also about to enter Michigan. Washington State and um, and uh, Nevada, and we had contracts with partners that were you know we were sifting through start that sifting through contracts, like, but that all just being put on uh, hold you know mm-hmm. with uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. I was also about to um, start putting Wilfred in that live um, MC at festivals, uh, cannabis events and stuff like uh, um, cannabis cups and. Just start doing some stand up as uh, as Wilfred and really raise his raise the profile of the character again by doing just hitting the road, doing what I started out doing actually, which is live live comedy. And then once I seen the I seen the writing on the wall, it was coming. You know, I was over here in Spain, but I saw it way before it even. You know, I don't know the very early the very early signs of COVID. I knew it was coming, and I. Just change direction. Just put the whole like live thing on hold. It's pointless now. So I just you just have I've actually had to pivot the the company and um yeah just to make it survive. So it changes all the time. So you're in Spain right now. You're with your wife and kids. Your wife's from Spain. She's she seems like she's been a huge supporter as have your kids with respect to the new brand that you've launched because I think for two reasons a you get to spend a lot more time with your family. And, and B, she's probably pretty excited that you're, you're doing something new and something that you love uh, that also ties into what it was you were doing in the past. And that's the show. So this seems like, honestly, the best path forward with respect to what you're trying to do with your career anyways. Um, because again, it, gets you, it, gives you yeah, the, it gives you the ability to tie in your, your, you know, your comedy side and your brand. Now, you mentioned earlier 
celebrity brands, you know, and I have a thing about that. And that's, you know, most celebrity brands fail. And that's because they try to leverage too much of their own personal likeness um, in hopes that uh, consumers um, will, will buy that brand. I mean, you look at Chong's Choice, Marley's Naturals, Willie's Reserve, um, uh, Leafs by Snoop, um, all, all, all great companies, um, good brands, but their sales aren't nearly as well as, well, other brands that are in the cannabis space that produce perhaps more craft-like products. That's not to say, though, of course, that these brands can't be um, much bigger, better, and stronger um, but at the end of the day, what I like that you've done differently than them is it, the brand isn't called Jason Gann, right? The brand is called Wilfred. So Wilfred is its own character in and itself. So it's not necessarily like those other brands I mentioned, but it's actually in a category of its own. Um, so I think that's really cool. And I think that's something that yeah. also makes you really unique. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, my wife, I'm, I mean, I got my wife because of Wilfred and my, my kids are Wilford babies, so yeah. I mean, they can't they can't be too uh, they can't like, hate Wilford too much. But as they grow <laughs> up, or they they wouldn't exist if it wasn't Wilford, right? So yeah, um, yeah. They they <laughs> well, let's call it daddy's pun sticks. They said daddy's 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 his pun sticks. They don't know where they still don't know what cannabis is. You know, that's just the word to them. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they're seven and five. But um, <clears throat> yeah, it's um well the thing about celebrity brands, I think, is that um, cannabis is, I mean, even if you've got a celebrity brand, say you've got, I don't know, I don't know who's the celebrity, I mean, George Clooney's vodka, right? Let's yep. George Clooney's vodka. Are you going to buy because of George Clooney? I mean, I don't think it, people, I think people are happy for these um, celebrity brands to exist. No one's saying, oh, look, I don't care about celebrity brands. I, should, I mean, who doesn't love Tommy Chong? I mean, and who doesn't love the Tom, Tom's Choice as a brand? Um, but if you think about beers, if you think about beers for a second, right? You might have you're going to have your favorite beer, and and it doesn't and it's not it doesn't matter who they get to have. It might make an effect if if I love if I love drinking kind of beers, and they get you know an actor who I hate on there promoting it, then I may go away from them. But the chances are, if I love that beer, I love the flavor and the stick to it. Cannabis is a little bit different because <laughs> all cannabis is good, you know. It's, it's just how, how good it is. So for me, I don't think that there's, and it's also so hard to be consistent. And a lot of a lot of brands will, you know, claim that they're, you know, they're consistent and that they taste. I personally, I smoke a lot of weed and have for a quarter of a century, but I couldn't tell the difference between brands by their box or their name when it comes to smoking cannabis. Mm-hmm. And my relationship with cannabis is a spiritual relationship, right? So when I smoke cannabis, it's like, here's my girl, you know. And so I, I, I guess, I guess, I, I guess, me, me personally, I'm not dragged to, um, to branding so much. But here, we, here but to Wilfred, you know, I'm, I got, I got, I love the business. I feel like I'm creating history in a sense. I mean, what I did with Wilfred as, a, as a short film was hadn't reached. No Australian short film had had that kind of success. The television was the same. The television show in Australia, the American show. I mean, fucking Robin Williams was in it, man. Robin Williams asked to be in it, and and it was his first TV show he did since Mork and Mindy. The show affected people. 
for me to come off my chain to come to America and do that uh, was very was very special little little comet that I was on, and I was aware of there was something special. But to be over is very sad. For it to live a life again through through this brand is something that I could not have possibly imagined, even in any kind of parallel universe situation. I mean, weed is still illegal in Australia, where I'm from, mm-hmm. and I didn't even imagine weed ever being recreational legal, let alone uh, having the possibility of having a, a brand myself. So just by doing it, I felt like I already won, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not making a huge amount of money yet. One day I hope it does. But it, but but that's that's not money isn't isn't really the the driving force of this. I feel like I'm doing I'm creating a piece of history and uh, I want Wilfred the brand to live way beyond me. We talked before you and I about uh, the day coming where I'm like, oh, I'm done with Wilfred. I'm holding Wilfred auditions. And and I'll and then people can send their Wilfred auditions and, and it'll be like Ronald McDonald. When Ronald McDonald, the first Ronald McDonald quit, they replaced him with another Ronald McDonald, Colonel Sanders. You know, so I'm trying to create a brand now that is a lot uh, so Wilfred doesn't he doesn't speak as much, if you notice, in, in, in the stuff that I'm doing. I'm doing some stuff at the moment as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not speaking at all. I really want to try and create a kind of a Marlborough man kind of mystique about him. Dosakis, uh, the Dosakis guy, right? We talked you know, about, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But it's a lot of fun. And, and yeah, I mean, the kids, we recently shot something on a beach here and we shot it on, on, on my iPhone. <laughs> and my, my wife was the, was the, DO, the DOP, the DP, and, I, and, um, and my kids were, uh, because it's COVID, right? We don't trust anyone babysitting them, right? Even, even my, my grandparents right now, right? So yeah. we don't, they're here with us all the time. Have a pipe. Did you lose me? No, I didn't lose you. So, yep. so we got, we're on this beach, sit on this beach. We got a, a, an umbrella with my kids underneath it with the iPad, anything to keep them busy, you know, out, totally out of their hair with like snacks and, and esky with, with food and drinks and pool and towels and lots of stuff in this little kind of, uh, you know, this little like, almost rabbit warren. And we're over shooting and, and that was our, and that was our base unit, you know, so, but it looks fucking amazing. It looks amazing. And so we got it for zero dollars. But, you know, they're used to me getting in the dog suit now, walking around, you know, you know, setting up shots and stuff like that. In the old days, with Wilfred, obviously, um, you know, I had people doing all that shit for me. Uh, whereas now, um, I kind of do everything. You I do? Everything. I've got partners that help with other areas. Stuff, but, you know, when it comes to creative, uh, I'm driving. Well, and that's, and that's really set you up for success as it relates to business, because having to have, having to, how do I want to say this? Having had to do so many different things, uh, in relation to the business and, 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 you know, you're, and you're producing your series, I mean, that's a lot of work. And I'm sure that by doing all of those things, it really set you up for success with respect to how you now approach your, your cannabis brand. But what I want to know, Wilfred, or should I say Jason, um, is uh, did you smoke a lot of weed actually on the show? Were you, were you smoke, was, were you in, actually, were you and Elijah Wood smoking? Was he actually, was he blazing with you? <laughs> no. 
No, no. sadly, sadly, that's a disappointing answer for a lot of people. But ah. um, like when I Wilford was a Wilford was a short, but I wrote, but I wrote it high. I mean, I wrote, you know, I wrote it all the co-wrote with Adam Barr, you know, all the all the episodes of uh, of of the Australian series, and I made it point to be high throughout the entire writing process, right? I did other shows in Australia, created, I wasn't high at all, but for that, I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. When it came to shooting, it was different because I, the first short film I did was a, a character called Mr. Dan who was similar to Wilfred in, in his kind of attitude and style. And he was, he was ripping bombs during a job interview that he was actually holding. And uh, I used to have to fall on the sofa again and again. My, my buddy's shooting and he said, I didn't believe it, didn't believe it. Eventually, I, I slammed my head into this big brick. I split my head open while I was shooting to cast myself and finish the, the shoot. But I learned a lesson that day, you know, don't, don't be smoking a lot of weed while you're shooting. And and so that was that was a small budget. But when you suddenly got, you know, you got a million dollars per episode, I don't know, I think um, I how, many, how many millions, I think it was like $200,000 per episode, the Australian one started as. And then when you when you got that much money and equipment ticking over, you can't afford that, you know, and you just need to. So when it came to the actual shooting of Wilfred, it wasn't until I did something with uh, Tommy Chong, Tommy Chong's crew actually really down there with, and they did this. Uh, yeah, I did a little thing with Tommy Chong, a little grab for the for their uh, those guys, but with their with the guys um, that were doing it. I shot this little uh, sketch and it was, you know, Wilfred smoking through one of those bones, dog like bones that they buy from the pet store. Yep. Drilling with drill. And, uh, oh, that's a great fun. idea. Why have I never thought of that? That <laughs> <laughs> was great too, you know. I thought, I, thought we, I thought we did it all. We didn't do that. And so then um, it wasn't until I was getting really high in the dog suit shooting that that I went, I said to everyone crew, I said, hey, I just got to say, this is the first time I've actually been fucking totally high as Wolf in this dog suit, right? It's the first time ever. Uh, I mean, obviously, when I was shooting in Australia, after we'd finished, I'd go home and, and blaze up, of course. But when it was when it came actual time to being switched on, like when the, when there's a lot of money involved, um, no, we, we never we never were. Mm-hmm. I think one of the beautiful things about the cannabis industry that I've recognized is that it's an opportunity for you to like do business and be yourself. And that's why it's so much fun that, uh, or that's why it's, yeah, that's why it's so much fun to see so many people in the cannabis industry at these conferences, just getting absolutely baked because the conversations you have with people at that point are, it's just, it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother lifestyle. It's not even, it's not even just a completely different industry. It is a way of living for some of these people, yeah, including myself. Like, I smoke weed every day, all day, and it doesn't affect me at all. Um, negatively. Yeah, it's like one big awesome outdoor music festival from the 90s or something where, uh, I mean, I actually met you at Hall of Flowers. Uh, and then uh, yep. I was there. I, did, I, went around the, I went around as Wilford. I remember. For a while, like, for my friend. And... Uh, at one point, I walked past. I was with. I walked past with a couple of kind of uh, you know people, chaperones. I walked down this ramp outside of a building outside towards another building, and there was this just three people there having a conversation. 
Uh, and this girl just walked, she was talking, <laughs> and in the middle of the sentence, she saw me, and during the sentence, she went, Wilfred! <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it. Was like, and, she, and then you could tell, I mean, I can tell when I'm seeing a fan who really is a Wilfred fan, right? You just, you just know. And she was. And she was, she was just completely um, just dumbstruck. And not only that, then I was able to pull out a packet of uh, pull out a packet of Wilfreds, and uh, and just pa- pass her one, you know, just pa- pass her a, a pre roll, which I knew were, were great pre rolls as well. She just couldn't believe it, you know, and and so um, that was a really exciting and, and on that below that on that day, and that was uh, pretty awesome um, to think that this was the in, where the industry. But I was working, you know, that was the job. the job. And I was smoking, getting high with Wilfred fans. And I was as Wilf in the car, in, in the suit. That's so funny. Uh, that's that's great, that though. When you, when you bring that much joy to someone, it's like uh, Wilfred un- taps into some child within people, uh, taps into some. And now, uh, and you mentioned the difference between the two shows. I'd have to say the American show start a lot more conversations about mental health than the Australian one ever tried to. It dealt with a lot of issues like depression and stuff that I get I get messages on Instagram every, every day from people from all over the world who just tell me how much the show helped them. And so that to me is like um, that's an honour to begin with. Um, and the fact that I'm why I'm very also very careful and selective with what I do with the brand that I don't damage that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't damage what Wilfred means to people that I maintain that artistic credibility. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I mean, cause I always said about Wilfred TV shows, like there's a lot more to it than just me and dog suit cracking jokes. Mm-hmm. You know? Wilfred can get very silly, very fast. And when we did the seven-minute short film, a lot of people said this could not last beyond seven minutes. It's just the, the, the idea just doesn't doesn't can't go that far. And I said they're wrong. But then when we did the pilot, they said the same thing. It's a great pilot, but where could the series go? And then we they said this, they said the same thing after the American pilot as well. Yeah, it's a great pilot, but what's going to happen? Is it a series? Well, it's almost 20 years, you know, 19 years since uh, we did the short film and the character's still around and people still love the character as much now as when we did that first short film. So, you know, it's great to be part of that, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you bring that uh, up, mental health. My friend Rachel Wolfson um, on Instagram, she goes by Wolfie Comedy. Um, She has a uh, podcast actually called um, Chronic Relief. And it's, and it's, uh, it's a podcast between comedians who actually all they talk about is mental health. Apparently comedians, um, uh, a majority or, or so it said, uh, uh, as data shows, they, a lot of them actually have mental health issues, which is, um, why they use comedy as an escape to feel or from feeling the way they feel. And it also provides, I guess, a lot of ammo, as you will, with respect to the sketches that these comedies are doing. And so I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so I just wanted to give her a shout out because I think she's doing an amazing job um, yeah. creating a conversation around something that's important. And more importantly, mental health as it relates to cannabis, which I think is 
also cool because that's something that you took, I think, as a part of your show's brand DNA and integrated into the Wolfie, into the, uh, sorry, Wilford cannabis brand. And, and that's genius because, um, you know, most brands that come to the cannabis industry, they don't really have much of a story. And most of the leadership involved in a lot of these brands, because they have different stories from different places, because they come from different walks of life, it's really hard to kind of develop a, a, a neutral ground for which the brand, for which the foundation of that brand stands on as the story relates to the uh, consumer market, right? So you have a really interesting piece. Mm. Now, when um, uh, we, we talked a few weeks ago uh, or was it a month ago, fuck, I don't know. It's been a, this, this whole COVID thing is like speeding time up and slowing it down in all sorts of ways. But we were talking about this really yeah. cool, this really cool idea you had. And it was about um, Wilfred giving back to pet shelters. Uh, and for, uh, well, let's talk a little bit more about that. Tell me, tell me kind of, and everyone else, how you were thinking you wanted to build that as it relates to the brand and, and kind of your social responsibility. About the pet shelters? Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, uh, remember, remember right. we were talking about, I mean, maybe we were both super stoned. I'm sure we were actually. Um, <laughs> Well, let, I mean, well, I mean, there was, you, you covered a lot of ground in that. So let me just go back to um, firstly uh, the Chronic Relief um, podcast. I mean, yeah, shout out to your friend. I'd, I'd be happy to be involved in that at some point if you wanted everyone to reach out and uh, talk about. I'll link it. you guys. Uh, you know, mental health is yeah is a, is a big is a big thing, a big thing for me, and it's been <laughs> for, for twenty five years. You know, I mean. Talk about suffering from depression. Uh, I still don't feel comfortable talking about it because for many years there's been a huge stigma with it that was almost like a deal breaker when it came to uh, you know your career. You know, it's kind of the uninsurable, I guess, and it could damage damage your career. But um, I did also when we did Wilfred, mate. My life was so out of control. I used, to call, I used to call Wilford a comedy, because as far as I know, I coined that term, because the Australian one is when I call that, the emotional trauma was happening to these people, these characters, who weren't emotionally traumatic scenarios that I'd ever seen on TV before. And we were dealing with, with um, this trauma in a way with a dog in a sign of dog suit, and it just made it just, because I say about, where my comedy came from is in life, why I'm a comedian is when shit gets so bad that you have to laugh at it. You have to laugh because if you don't, you're just combust, you know? And so um, when I, in the 90s, we played for Wilfred, I used to live the Seinfeld, 30 minutes a day, it was on 7 o'clock every night in Australia. And for that 30 minutes of the day, the dark clouds of depression parted for me. And then life was okay. And then as soon as that came in at the end, the dark clouds came back of a depression that I couldn't define or explain. It was just there. And it was, you can talk about it being chemical. I don't think it was chemical. I think it was soul. I think it was spiritual. It was a soul depression. And it was like, I used to think if I could forget, if I could make people forget about their miserable stinking fucking lives for half a day, half an hour a day, not stinking fucking lives, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but I mean their pain, 
that that was the most, that's the most the best thing I could ever do on this planet, right? So to, to have people now contact me and say that I helped them get through mental health issues is the is the is the ultimate goal for me. I'd like to also you know be able to pay my bills, but that is to be able to be able to affect people in that way was uh, was significant. So when it comes to, so so so. But a lot of these things, you realize, you know, the artist and the and the musician, the musician and the and the, and the song, the the creator, the writer, and the the the, book, the work, the prose. You often don't know what you're writing. You often you might think you are, but the, the most great things that that people would say about Wilfred now that seem to be by design, many times they weren't. Many times they were just it was fluke, you know. It was just instinct, just telling a story. Yeah, no, it's good. As far as the uh, as far as the animal, animal shelter stuff thing, thing mate, I think it was actually your idea, and it's, and it's a great idea. <laughs> but yeah, so I I, I can't extrapolate to. But my idea came from you. Right. <laughs> so there you go. It was organic. It was. You look the whole the whole Wilford thing's been organic. You couldn't you couldn't contrive, you couldn't design the Wilford journey, and you know even back when I was just an actor writer. I used to sometimes speak with writers or whatever, and they'd want to know how he did it, and you just couldn't, you couldn't replicate it, and you, and I wouldn't, you wouldn't want to, because you know Wilfred the character came from a lot of fucking pain, man, and I hated playing Wilfred in Australia. I used to hate being in that dog suit, and my American manager when he called when he called we were going to do a different show in America, and he called me up and he said, look, I know you don't want to do Wilfred again. I said, I'm not getting that fucking dog suit again. And this, this, this is a story that I'd like to share. So I, because, so anyway, no one knew, when I shot Wilfred, no one knew Wilfred. It wasn't like I was walking down the street and people would be like, hey, Wilfred. You know, they'd just be like, people would be giving me shit or whatever, you know. People would be like, what's this fucking clown doing? Mm-hmm. So I didn't, didn't do a lot for my self-esteem being a Wilfred Australia. And then when I signed on to the show in America, because what I said to him was, he, he, I, he said to me, I think this could be your neck, your Mork and Mindy, you know. <laughs> this could be your Mork and Mindy, like Robin Williams, you can design. You, yeah, everyone's going to remember the dog. Everyone remember the alien. You can design your career. I said, look, Mork and Mindy is my favorite show. If you can get, if you can sell the show, I'll do it. He sold it. I did it. Robin Williams ended up being in it, and he ended up being his first TV show since Mork and fucking Mindy. So can you believe the synchronicity of that? That I made that decision to come to America with the show because of the, the carrot of this could be on Mork and Mindy, and now Mork's on my fucking show, right? But so the first day of the publicity shoot, I turn up. First time I ever had my own trailer in Australia. I didn't ever have my own trailer. You know, I'd share it with everyone, with the crew. Everyone would be coming in, taking you know leads out of bags, and that would be my trailer, right? Well, in, in America, suddenly I'm in this trailer. Just for, just for photo publicity shots, and I, I walk in and I see Wilfred hanging there, right? He's on the fucking, uh, he's hanging there on a coat hanger. And I got hit with this wave of depression because the suit represented for me 10 years of being a, a child, doing children's theater, for 30 bucks a show, and all those difficult years in the 90s of stuff, severe depression. And, and I, and I, but I also knew. It made people feel good, so I was conflicted. But I remember thinking at the time, I don't think I can get in this dog suit one more fucking time, like not once. 
how I've just signed on for six seasons, 13 episodes per season. And I, I really thought, can I just jump in my car and drive across America and let's let them fucking catch me and throw me out of the country and just don't turn up? Just don't turn up. Maybe I could do that. I got down on my knees. I got down on my knees and I said out loud, please, God, help me find a way to love this. Nothing happened then. I went out. I did the first photo shoot set up and it's a kind of famous one. People see if they just press Google Wilfred, you'll see me leaning out of the car window going, ah, like yelling <laughs> out of car window. I had a fan going there. Everyone was totally nice, right? I remember that one actually. <laughs> but my heart, I, I felt like I was dying then because I just thought like I was about to make a, the biggest fool of myself in front of, wasn't bad enough, I just made a fool of myself in this dog suit in front of Australians, but now I'm about to do it to the whole world. This show could be a, a dog. This show could bomb. And it's, I'm here I am dressed like this and all this pain. I finished it. Everyone was nice. Thanks, Jason. Go back into your trailer, grab some snacks, relax for a while. We'll let you know when you've got the next setup. Well, I, I, as I get out, I see this guy come up to me and he said to me, and he was an Australian guy on Venice Beach, and he said, Mate, I, I just saw you. I didn't know you're doing this over here. I have over here in holidays. I walk down. I see you doing this. Mate, it's fucking up. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep going. You make a lot of people happy. You make so many people happy. Keep going. And that was my, that was it, man. That was your ah moment. On my knees, I prayed. Help me love this. And I, from that moment on, every time I didn't feel like getting in the show, every time I want to get in the suit during the season, I'm like, look at it. I go, fuck. Remember the people out there who will, who love Wilfred, who it affects in that profound way, and I and I and I did it, you know, gladly and lovingly. Man, that's great. And I still and now when I put it on, I put it on for Tommy Chong for that for that Tom, Tommy Chong four twenty thing. Now when I put it on, let me tell you, it's like a fucking great honor, and it, and and Wilfred is kept so well. It's like a ceremony, man. And when I take him out, it's like, uh, and I put it on, it's like, uh, it is a great, um, it's a very special relationship I have with that suit. How many of those suits do you have left? Is, isn't, isn't. How many of those suits do you have left? Just one? I've got, I've got one. Well, I've got one American one and I've got the original Australian one. Well, I was going to say what you yeah. could do is you could, you could, uh, they, there's this movie theater in Seattle. Um, and, uh, it's owned by, um, not Bill Gates. Um. God, why am I having a brain fart? Paul Allen. Um, and this movie theater, it's got all of the original. He, he's like, cause he's, he's a, he's a collector of um, old movie costumes. So he has like one of the original Superman costumes. And anyways, so he puts them throughout his different movie theaters. And so what I was thinking would be kind of cool is if you took one of yours from Australia and you put it into a glass case, you could actually put that in different dispensaries for like 60 days or a month and allow them to use that as an attraction item to build the brand. That could be dope. Just saying, you know, since we're, since we're on the call yeah. and, you know, I mean, you got, you got your one, you got your, well, that's also true, but it's uh, if, if the dispensary is willing to pay for it, it could be a good, good point of sale display for 60 to 90 days in a dispensary. Yeah, well, I don't know what You've been, I don't know what dispensaries you've been dealing with, but uh, you know they don't, they don't really have a they don't splash around too much, too much money. They want the best deals they can get. Look, I I I just I went around from dispensary to dispensary and sales, and I never done sales in my life. 
And I was walking around with a Wilford t-shirt, Wilford hat on. I walk in. Some places were like, they knew I was a sales guy. They weren't interested. Others were interested, but still getting our products on their shelf is another matter. And I'd say every every dispensary is like its own Game of Thrones. You know, it's its own gatekeepers, its own, <laughs> you know, cutthroat politics. And it's like just getting your, just getting these damn three rolls on the, on the shelf to me is like every time I get this is a massive victory. But it's also what I love about California cannabis industry. I assume it's, it's like this everywhere. It's real camaraderie. There's a real, once you're in there, you're in like those, the, the 25 shops that I'm in now, I consider them my friends and they're my partners, you know, and I, 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 I want to I wanna get to know them as, as well as I can because behind every one of those dispensaries is a story of overcoming adversity. And I've overcome a lot of adversity in my life to get where I've got. And so every, every single dispensary owner, they're creating history too. They're creating a history in a, in a more like traditionally American life. We're going to the West and we're gonna, we've got a, a pick and a, and a map and we're going to try and dig some gold here, you know, and we may, we may not make it. We may not all make it back alive. And now we're out here and it's, it's COVID. And it's a, it's a, what is it called? A, an essential, it's an essential item and, and people that, you know, people are selling it, these stores are selling it with their masks on and it's a, it's a serious business, people's health. People, every time someone is going to have a transaction, they could die. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, being in the cannabis game, man, it's, uh, it, I'm very proud to be in it, very proud to be in it. Well, Jason, what I love about you is you, you're a humble person. Uh, I mean, when I met you at the hall of flowers, you were just, you were, you were very approachable. And to the point you made about the dispensary owners, you and I became pretty good friends right away too. Um, and, and I love that about you, you know, but more importantly, I think what others enjoy about your hustle and your grind is the fact that, you know, you made a comment earlier, you, or, you know, you, you pay people to do shit for you that you don't want to do. But in this instance, you were like, fuck it. I'm going to do all of this myself. I'm going to learn the business. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to meet the people. I'm going to understand the industry and I'm going to show consumers, patients, bud tenders and business and, and other industry owners alike. Why Jason Gann, you know, loves the plant, believes in the plant and wants to support this industry. And, and that man is a beautiful story, you know? So I really Thanks, appreciate bro. that about you. You know, I, uh, and it's one of the things about cannabis that is still hard to, I mean, anyone who grew up in these, you know, these, our eras, um, who remembers, who's going to always remember cannabis prohibition, um, they're never really going to be able, they're always going to have that stigma of like, I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And that, that's probably going to take the longest um, to educate and to change that kind of mindset that cannabis as a, as a medication is uh, and, and is something that recreational, something that makes you feel good, is, is doesn't have to be a bad thing, you know, that, yeah. um, you know, people would say with depression, uh, if, you, if you're, um, you know, in the halls, the AA rooms, they'll, they'll describe it as self-medicating. 
And uh, but it's self-medicating, yeah. But it's also but it's said in a not a patronizing way, but in a in a victim way. Yeah. You're self-medicating because you need to be medicated because you're you're ill and there's something wrong with you. And with I think you can self-medicate without it being that you failed in some way. Mm-hmm. Failed some sanity test, or you've sat, failed some way that you need to soldier on and not, you know, not want to, not want to get high now, and and and, and now you're high. Yeah, you, ha- you know, you were crying a minute ago, and now you're high and you're laughing. <laughs> Life is so fucking hard, and we're on this fucking planet. What's wrong with that? Nothing. You know, <laughs> it's like it's you know, I think I think it all it all goes back really, uh, Jason, to you know prohibition and why why cannabis was made illegal in the first place. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, politics involved, uh, you know, people wanted to, you know, mill paper and, or I'm sorry, mill trees and, and use that to create fiber and paper and all of these other materials, um, as well as, you know, plastics and things of that nature to develop rope. So nylon and, and, and it really eliminated uh, the need for the use of this one plant that was and has been, uh, you know, on this planet for thousands of years. I mean, there was a, there was, you know, some study that I saw uh, on, uh, I think it was CNN, that's real news or not, but <laughs> um, they found, uh, you know, THC and frankincense residue uh, near uh, burial grounds where they would hold, um, you know, various different, uh, uh, engagements. And so, um, yeah. you know, about yeah, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how far back it goes from both a ritualistic perspective, medicinal perspective, obviously wellness. And then of course, recreational, you know, I think for a lot of us, um, including myself, and I'll admit this, you know, on this podcast right here, right now, when I got into the cannabis industry, I completely bullshitted my way through to get my green card. I had no medicinal issues, right? I lied. I totally lied. But I think a lot of people did. And I mean, no disrespect to those who do actually, in fact, have medicinal issues as it relates to use to cannabis. But, uh, you know, I totally lied. And um, uh, however, I'm glad I did because it introduced me to the opportunity to try all of these different strains. And, um, you know, that was an interesting awakening because what I recognized and realized later on is that the strain specificity uh, really played um, a role in helping me understand the, the variety of um, uh, experiences or medicinal modalities that these, uh, you know, that this plant has. And so um, that was then, you know, really my opportunity to come in and, and rebrand cannabis industry from from a storytelling to an aesthetic perspective and and so i guess my question for you jason is you know when you chose your strains for your brand wilfred um why did you choose those strains and is there anything particularly interesting about the genetics that you have that differ from other brands well look i would like to be able to talk about strains a lot a lot a lot more, be a lot, a lot more informed than I than I am. Um, I just am like a. Uh, if it smells good, but look, we our, our flower comes from Yolo family farm in um, 
just outside Sacramento, yep. Yolo County. And uh, and and basically, those the farmers there just gave me uh, a bunch of samples, <laughs> and I smoked it all, and it was really hard to choose. <laughs> but I just chose the best ones, the ones, the best ones that I could, you know. And and yeah. uh, and there wasn't a bad one in them. So I I uh, as long as I it, as long as I like it and it, it's smooth and it's uh, you know it. I mean, uh, the reason why I went to um, Sungrown outdoor versus uh, versus um, indoor was just couldn't afford indoor. It was just too expensive. It was like when I tried to answer when I tried the first partner I I wanted to go into partnership with it was like two thousand dollars a pound. I'm like, okay, there's no business. There's no business here. There's just no. I would have to. There's just like zero margin there for me, or I'd have to ask. So. I, and so I was talking to um, Jared Kylo actually at the Higher Park, mm-hmm. and he was like, you know, very generous with his time. And he said to me, "You considered, you know, outdoor, like it's like cheaper, and you know, it can be really good and really good for pre roll." I'm like, "Well, okay, there's maybe another opportunity." Because the first, you know, partner I almost went into, it was like I would have been, you know, had more space over everything, but I wouldn't have made anything at all. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so that's when I started looking into that. And then it was a matter of, well, I mean, the TAC percentage in these uh, pre rolls, you know, mine are in uh, mid to late twenty. And there, and and a lot of, I knew, I also discovered a lot of pre roll, a lot of companies that had many many SKUs used all their shit in uh, all the crap and uh, and all all of the um, leaf and stuff. In their pre rolls, biomass type stuff. And so uh, I didn't want to do that. And so um, I wanted to try and create a, some, some trust. <laughs> a high you can trust. So I wanted to, I wanted to just have a quality product that, uh, that, that was affordable. And that, and that meant it had to be affordable for me too. So if, if we can't afford to buy the flower because it's just, I mean, I, I look. I love looking at the photos on Instagram. I mean, all those many close up of that of the flower and all the beautiful colors and all the those little drops of all those little dew drops and all that like magic. Mm-hmm. And of course, I love, I love smoking all that, but some of that stuff uh, we just can't afford. We're not. A, we're not. But that's not what we're trying to be. You know. Well, and I think the and just the the important thing to understand too, and this is a huge misconception. Uh, as it relates to cannabis brands uh, and just in consumers alike, just because pot is grown outside doesn't mean it's less quality. Yeah. So no, well, to me, to me, it made I, I love the idea of it, of it of it touching the sun because you know, like uh, it was, it just feels so organic. You know, well, like it just feels so natural the way it's nature intended, and and you know, and so I got. Like I love, I love indoor as well. But yeah, I, dude, from where I come from, it was, I was in heaven. Well, yeah, and look, I'll, I'll explain kind of the, this as an example, right? Uh, as it relates to Wilford and um, the brand. And so when I'm looking, when I look at um, the uh, outdoor grown cannabis, if you think about it, so we did a documentary on uh, Humboldt County, right, and the growers, and so. Um, if you go to ahumboldtstory.com, you can watch it. It's a 20-minute documentary. 
But what we wanted to share was the fact that just because product or rather flower is grown outdoors doesn't necessarily deem it as, as less quality, right? So um, it, it's got in Humboldt, there are, you know, what's called uh, regenerative farming techniques, um, dry cultivation techniques. You've got microclimates, you know, it's got this appellation, right? Much like, you know, wine country. And so when you look at the, um, the way that it's grown uh, and by the people that are growing it who have, mind you, years and years and years and years and years of experience, uh, much more than, you know, many of the cultivators that exist today, um, you know, they're growing just much better flower because it's also in smaller batches. So they're able to give, you know, each plant far more love and attention, right? Um, yeah. And, and when you look at that, uh, as it relates to, you know, the alcohol industry, right? You look at um, Everclear, it's 100 proof and it tastes like shit and you're going to be hungover as fuck. But then you look at Belvedere and that's a much smoother vodka. It's more expensive and it's less potent. So why would I pay less yeah. for less? So potency at the end of the day doesn't necessarily dictate quality, right? Um, it's the terpenes and cannabinoids and, and the way it was grown and how it was grown and the soil it was grown. And, and so, um, you know, there's, uh, there's substance there. And I think that's a huge misconception as it relates to how cannabis is sold in dispensaries, you know, bud tenders, not all, but a lot have this misconception that again, you know, potency is, um, you know, uh, all that matters and that's just not the case. Yeah. I mean, you can, well, look, I discovered years ago um, that you don't, you need a remarkably small amount of cannabis to hit that receptor in your brain for you to be in the zone, right? Where what I, where I, what I described as that spiritual connection, right? For me, being high is as much of a place as it is a feeling. So I'm in the same place, but it's, it's all somehow uh, different. Mm -hmm. And I like it. So I discovered that years ago when I, I mean, many years ago, I'm talking about in the 90s, I'd read way before I was over on the internet or I even probably knew the internet existed, reading about in a, in a book, you know, in a, in a state library, what I could read about it and, and discovered about these uh, receptors. Early talk about the receptor. <clears throat> And it made so much sense to me. And from then on, I, I always knew you didn't have to have a lot. And you don't have, it doesn't have to be as, you don't need to be, I mean, look, if I had like a big dad, I would fucking pass out. I mean, and I'm like, I'm Wilfred, you know, like, I mean, I've, I'm, people think that, you know, Wilfred, that, and I've been stoner for fucking 25 years, more. Um, but I don't, you don't need to have huge amounts. Um, you to be able to love it and enjoy it because I also still like to function, you know. Yeah, I still want to function. Uh, other kids, you know. Yep, um, I mean, and, I mean, I've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I agree. And like, there's times where I'll wake and bake because I do that most mornings, it's just part of my uh morning ritual, if you will. And um, depending on the strain that I'm smoking, will greatly determine how much I smoke because smoking the same amount, right. you know, for each strain, even some that are far less potent, um, 
you know, make me feel obviously much different, um, depending on what it is I'm smoking. So, uh, you know, I'm even, no, care- I'm, I'm, even care- I'm envious. I'm envious. <laughs> look, I, um, I, I look forward to that day. Uh, you know, probably when my kids are teenagers and I can, uh, and I can, but, and also I need to be in California for that. I mean, I, uh, to get that kind of selection. Um, and I, I look forward to that one day. I just have never in my life, uh, as, as my life has turned out, had a, had a luxury of choice. Whatever it is in my life, it always seemed there's always been like that or, or you're fucked, you know? So, uh, and so I was, you know, I, you know, I grew up with, you know, whatever weed that your dealer had was what you smoked, you know? And so, um, I just, Still to this day, feel just you know like it's just hit and miss. I generally don't have a bad time when I'm high, and you know why? I read this thing. Just let me add some more light to this situation here because <laughs> my lighting here is actually a um, metal uh, thing. No, that's a bit better. So I read this thing because I did a lot of research into the spirituality of can- cannabis. So I want to know. I want to know where it came from. I want to know what planet specifically. It was brought from from what extraterrestrial civilization <laughs> brought to here and given to us, right? So I'm really interested to find out all like the spirituality of it. So I read about this this shaman, this kind of a shaman that said that um or shaman, whoever shaman, yeah, mm-hmm. it, um, and said that uh before they have like a kind of a ceremony, they that they they, uh, they they talk to the they say a prayer to the cannabis they're about to smoke. And they say, um, this is what I want from this experience. And I'd love it if you would allow me to have that experience through you. And that the cannabis, plant, and this is what I found, I love this idea, and I believe it. The cannabis plant is like a tool. It's like a bit like a dog in a sense of like, a do- what do you want me to do? You want me to bark at you here now and bite you because I don't know what you're fucking doing in my yard? Or do you want me, are you my friend? And so they say that dogs can actually read a person's mind and be able to read what, how they should, they can see the image in your head of what you want, what you want them to be. If you're scared of horses, they'll be scared of you because it's like, I don't trust you. You're scared of me. I'm scared of you. But if you've got it in your heart and you go up to a horse and say, hello, beautiful. And I did equine therapy as part of like some, some therapy years ago. I know this. To I remember true. that. You told me that, yeah. Well, cannabis is the same. If you're going to have, if you're having a fucking shitty, shitty day, and if you're going to be worrying about, you know, the fight you're having with your, the guy who you work with, who, you know, you're arguing over work, and I think we might end up having a physical fight about this. If you're worried about paranoid or your taxes or whatever it is, You've got worries in your life and you get high and you start thinking about those worries, what are they going to do? They're going to get fucking worse. You're going to get paranoid. You're going to have a bad time. But if you go, you say that to the, to the cannabis that you're about to consume, just mm-hmm. before you have it, respect it. This is the experience I want to have. Put this in your head. 100% of the time it works. I never, get, I never get paranoid like, oh, why the fuck did I smoke so much and now I forgot I had this phone call or whatever, you know, because I really believe that there's a, spirit, there's a spirituality. It just wants to know what to do. You're the captain of the, you're the, captain of the airplane. It's the airplane. The cannabis is the airplane. And, it, and if you tell it 
to worry about the taxes, it's gonna. If you tell it that you want to have a really cool, relaxing experience and just forget about problems for a while, it will help you do that. And it doesn't matter what strain. That's my thoughts on that. No, I mean, look, you don't have to tell me that. I mean, look, I believe in aliens. I also believe that cannabis is a very, very special plant. Um, where it comes from, I don't know. Is it from this? Is it from this planet? Perhaps, perhaps not. We may never know. Well, you know about the Dogon tribe in uh, in Africa. The Dogon tribe. Dogon tribe. Yeah. Is that is that does that relate to the dog star? Yeah, yeah. The, the, it was called the two dogs, two dogs planet or something. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. They were this African tribe who. Uh, I mean, they didn't have any written text. But I've been passing on the history of their civil of, of their of life, right? The first, I mean, the first recorded civilization is the Sumerians, right? Who who speak of a, a extraterrestrial um, intervention, right? For us to be created from extraterrestrial. But the Dogon history goes back further than that, and they say that this uh, race of beings travelled from the Sirius um, star system. And that they travelled here, and they and they brought, they made us. They, they brought us cannabis. They brought a bunch of other things as well. But cannabis was a big part of it. Well, years back in the seventies, um, some uh, astronomers were talking to some, some researchers were talking to this tribe and found out that where they said this serious, where this came, these beings came from, was actually astronomically accurate and there's no way they could have possibly known or described that um, constellation had they not had some prior knowledge to it right so there was that element and also people talk about i mean you look at these old civilizations whether it's the uh sumerians or whatever and people talk about it as mythology and i think that that's a, a misbranding and, and by calling it mythology, you are assuming that it is false. And I can say with certainty that no human beings are going to spend their time and their, all their energy trying to prank future civilizations. Yeah, this is a prank. Let's just, let's just say we're all fucking aliens, came here, man. No one's going to do that, right? Why would you do that, right? Because we love our children. We want them to do better in life. We want them to do better than us. We're going to... We try to prepare them. We try mm-hmm. to prepare future generations. We build things to help people. We don't prank them. Let's fuck with them and say the whole fucking civilization. No, we, they're going to want to know what the fucking truth is, right? So to them, it was the truth. And so if the, if the people at the beginning and they're the only ones that left records and say, this is what happened, to me, you've got to take it seriously. And that's why I don't call it mythology. Man, you're talking about some... <laughs> Some shit now that I could talk uh, about this shit all day, man. I could talk well, about aliens all day. Oh my god, I can't tell you. Uh, so my roommate Derek and Derek, our creative director at Wick and Mortar, he is obsessed with ancient aliens, aliens in yeah. general. And and so you know because we live together, I've also watched all of this with him. He <laughs> bought he bought every season, every episode of every season, oh, ancient crazy. aliens. Um, but now he's got this book, Derek. What's the book called? The Secret Teachings of All Ages is this book that he just got. Have you heard of it? 
I'm you're writing it down. You're writing it down. Good. Um, he's been going. Yeah, yeah, he's been uh, he's been going through that book with a highlighter and sticky notes every night. You know, only thing. I mean, he's he loves that shit. So um, uh, he could definitely talk about that all night long too. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe we we'll, maybe we can put the show together because I want to put a show together in this. I've been I've been developing one, but it's just I mean, how do you make a fucking show these days? I mean, a show also wanted it to be like have an Anthony Bourdain element to it, with me traveling around the world, um, you know, in, into some of these locations, trying to find find this find the history of it, you know, like a a mystery kind of uh, thing. But it, it's, it's well, we're uh, doing we're, do, we're doing something right we're, do, we're doing something. Remember, so we've got this. Um, high on history show that we're putting together and we have this sub segment called instead of calling it conspiracy theories we're calling it conspiracy series and so um we've uh you know i've already told you about high on history so um we've that thing is moving forward very very quickly in fact um we are actually talking to some networks about it um, well, we want to get back to california as soon as we can my wife wants to get back there because the winter's coming here, and the winter in this particular region, which is in north um, north of Spain, Galicia, up above uh, Portugal, is very cold and very wet. So we only got uh, a little while left, and we want to, we want to get back to California, man. So what's so wait? Uh, how, what's what's preventing you from flying back here already? Is it the COVID thing, or mm, it is? Yeah, it is. It just feels like for me a nervous time right now. America seems like America's got a you know this election coming up. Um, you know, um, I'm like you know when we moved here, you know, I put all my shit in storage. You know, we're renting, so you know that, all, all our shit's in storage in uh, Silmar out in uh, in LA outskirts. And but we, when we when we land, I got to find a house to live in. I got to you know that's hard enough. You have to try shifting a fucking house with two kids and a dog. Into, into another country, uh, it's fucking hard anytime, man. It's a big deal. And then, but to, to be doing it and keeping everyone COVID safe along the way, man, it's a, it's, it's a big thing. So um, we're just, you know, for, for, you know, since this whole thing fucking kept happening, you know, my wife's like, when are the, where are the kids going to go to school? Where are we going to live? We even looked at going to Australia then. Mm-hmm. Australia was like COVID free, not anymore. So it's like, well, we don't know what the fuck we're doing, man. Like we're just, you know, we're kind of winging it because there's no playbook really for this thing. I mean, people could say, ah, the plague of 1920 or whatever, but there's no playbook for what is happening right now. So I've been saying, I feel like I've been saying wait and see forever, but, um, you know, all it would take for me to, you know, just say by the bullet and say, okay, we'll give a, we're going on this day. I mean, it'd be good if there was a if it'd be good if there was a bit of a you know. Ho- I don't know what's happening with Hollywood, man. I don't know. I don't nothing. Know well, nothing. I mean, everyone's producing COVID-friendly shows, so you know, there's and I can tell I can tell you a little bit more about that offline, but um, yeah, you know, uh, sure. from from all of the people that I'm talking, mean, Comedy Central, from what I understand, is is uh, you know uh, coming coming apart at its hinges. Uh, they've lost several executives. Um, uh, you know, quite frankly, there's just so many indie OTTs coming out that have great content that honestly, 
um, a lot of these bigger networks are finding it very difficult to compete with because they're taking away, you know, ad revenue. Yeah. Well, um, but that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. All right. All right, brother. Well, Hey, I, dude, I appreciate you coming on my show. Um, it has been an honor and a pleasure again. Uh, thanks for telling, you know, everyone else that, you know, hasn't heard of you, doesn't know of you, but now does, or hasn't heard of your brand, but knows of, you know, the Wilford show. Um, thanks for sharing uh, a bit about, you know, the brand as it relates to your past, um, your present and the future of, you know, what you see yourself doing personally and that of the cannabis industry. Um, and more importantly, man, I'm, I'm proud of you and I'm excited for you. And uh, yeah, and thank you everyone for, you know, tuning in. Um, you know, this is Jason Gann, uh, Jared Mirsky, and we're um, signing out. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. then, hey, before you go. At Wilford on Instagram. At Wilford at Wilford on Instagram. Yep. That's Wilford at Instagram. WilfordCannabis.com. WilfordCannabis.com at Wilford Instagram. Perfect. We'll include all the links in the bios. Um, Dude, I love you, bro. I appreciate you. And I'm excited for us to start working together. So, yeah, let's talk soon. All right, brother.